Can you please turn to Proverbs, the sixth chapter, beginning with the sixteenth verse? These six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him. So he's adding another one to the six, and all of them are displeasing to the Lord. Number one is a proud look. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, and he will exalt you in due season. Peter said, Humility is a characteristic that is woven through all of the teachings of the Bible and especially in the New Testament. Moses was said to be the meekest man in all the earth. Moses was an example of meekness and submission unto God, and yet he at one time forgot to be humble. He struck the rock rather than to speak to it. So we need to understand that the opposite of these that God hates is what we want to emulate, what we want to be a part of our life. Being in subjection one to another, in honor preferring one another, as the New Testament has said in Ephesians and in Philippians and even in Hebrews. The next thing is a lying tongue, a lying tongue. We have many examples of people who lied. Achan lied. It was the first city that was taken after they came in to take the land of Canaan. And God had told them that they had to put away everything, couldn't take anything in the cities that they were taking, that he had delivered into their hands, but that they shouldn't they should destroy those things and he had to he he had to uh, violate this Ananias and Sapphira were the two that lied in the new dispensation everyone else was getting praise for what they were doing and they wanted to get just as much praise and Peter said did you sell your land for that much? And they said, yes, for that much. They kept back some of it. They lied. So it's an amazing thing to think that God took an example in the Old Testament of people when they were getting ready to begin anew. And he put that in such a way that we can't forget it. And then in the beginning of the New Testament era, he selects two other people that lied and showed that that's the way he reacts to people who lie. Now, all of us lie. All of us lie. The tragedy is that we don't know that we lie. The psychiatrist, if you took a, a course in understanding human psychology and human behavior, 
you'd come across a course that talks about defense mechanisms. Defense mechanisms doesn't mean much to the average person. But they're nothing but lies. They're nothing but lies. For instance, we project certain things upon people that we hate or that we like. And when we do it, we're unconscious of it. And uh, there's 42, at least 42, defense mechanisms that we use, and we're sort of unmindful of it. They're nothing but lies. And we need to understand that that's the devil's way of getting our hearts. Now, a lot of time, well, one thing, we've just had some deaths in this, in this family, and the first thing we all did was not want to accept it. And you may say, well, that's not true. Well, you're, you're denying it, see. It is. We need to understand that we deny the death of our loved ones on the surface. That's just the first thing that we do. We just said it can't happen. I, I don't want to think about it. And we're lying to ourselves. We need to understand that it's a defense mechanism to keep us sort of focused, we think. So what God has done is come to heal us and to help us and to accept the fact that he has the answer to people who would be proud and the people who would lie. And that the best thing is just say, we want to be like him. The next one is hands that shed innocent blood. I could name the thousands of babies that will be murdered this year, and it would almost be, uh, we just couldn't think that that had happened to, to people who, who are responsible, but it does. And as soon as that conception is made, as soon as the seed of man goes in and takes part in the egg of the woman, life begins. It isn't long until you have a heartbeat. And you have two little hands and two little feet as a person. Now we can all understand that, and, and we may have been a part of that. We may have been caught in that. There may be people here who had an abortion and are really suffering from it and don't even, uh, won't even acknowledge it. Say there have been thousands of babies that have been killed and they went to heaven. The only way I can make an adjustment to anybody that does those things is just to say, you know how many babies were killed when Moses was saved and Aaron was saved? Thousands of babies. You know how many were killed when Jesus was born from two years down to the present time? Hundreds of babies. Prophecy in the Old Testament said that the women were just were crying with broken hearts. Where did they go? They went to heaven. Somebody said, well, just kill them and let them go to heaven. No, that's murder. 
But I'm saying to put the softened touch on it, that we need to understand that man is cruel and God hates it. But he has a way of escape to innocent people who die. That's the only silver lining that you can take hold of that you can adjust. But God still hates the person who would murder, whether it's just shooting someone or whether it's just being unkind. You know, John says that if we don't love our, our brother, that we are a murderer. God hates that. John was inspired when he said that. And we need to understand that uh, we, we need to say, well, yeah, we will. We'll just sort of deny it. Oh, it's okay to talk about my brother. No. No, it isn't either. God hates that. Number 18 says, He hates a heart that deviseth wicked imaginations. If someone hurts you, and you're of the nature, you know, I... I have had a study and I've had a lot of training in temperament. Uh, in fact, I have a diploma on counseling people who have, uh, who when I give them a test, I know their temperament. And that temperament was made when they were born. And if they'll answer the question truthfully, you can tell them what kind of temperament they have and, and it, it shows up. When they, when they are paranoid, suspicious, and when they imagine things, somebody hurts them. And when you take that test and you help that person, you can say, you know, God made you in such a way, but you don't have to be a slave to that. Now, you can take hold of that and not let it be sin, but you can use it to be particular. Not to be suspicious of people, but to be conscious of your shrewd powers to discern certain characteristics and use it as a blessing. So, but you find people who have an imagination that if, if they think that someone has hurt them or that someone doesn't like them, they just begin to worry about it. You know, it's like the guy that said, that I'll tell you, I, I think I'll go over and bore my neighbor's lawnmower and mow my lawn today. I haven't mowed it, and mine is out of, is, is, is broken. And I'll just go over and bar that. So he got to thinking, he said, oh, he, he wouldn't let me bar it. Oh, I, I tried to borrow his hammer one time, and, and he got sort of out of sorts with me. And he said, no, he, he, wouldn't, he wouldn't loan me that if I went over and asked him. He said, but, but I could mow my lawn and I could get it looking. I believe I'll... And he, he said, no, he won't do it. So he just kept talking to himself. And when he got over there, he just opened the door and he said, I wouldn't, I wouldn't borrow your lawnmower if you let me use it. So see, our imagination gets out of hand sometimes. And we need to control it. God hates that. You know, the feet that be swift to running to mischief is closely connected with that. 
some people is just sort of a busybody and just likes to get in trouble and likes to get other people in trouble. And they like to the spy, get people spying at one another and say, let's you and him fuss and fight. God hates that. God hates that. And we need to understand that he is very dissatisfied when we allow that to happen. A false witness that speaketh lies. Now this is sort of two of them wrapped in one, but it's still there and it's named as a specific one. A false witness is a person who will invent something that isn't true. And he just goes around telling it. He just goes around telling it. And you can tell a lie enough times that you'll believe it's the truth if you just keep telling it. God hates it. He hates it. And then the last one is he that sows discard among brethren. And if you were to think about it, all those six wrapped up together makes that seventh one. And we don't like to think about that seventh one there, but it, it, it gets a hold of us if we don't watch it. And the only way you can keep from sowing discord among brethren is to do the opposite. That's to build love, encouragement. Try to see the best in everybody. Now, it takes an effort to do that. It takes an effort. I've heard a lot of times about people that they said, well, you know, that old boy would never say anything bad about anybody. Everybody was talking about one person, and they were just naming everything bad about him. And this old boy came up, and he said, well, I'll tell you what, that old boy... He said that he may be bad in every point, but I'll tell you one thing, he can whistle. And said he can whistle the most beautiful tunes and melodies that I've ever heard. Wasn't that great? God hates these things. And we need to hate them too. I want you to turn over with me to James, the New Testament. And I think it gives us an insight into the uh, into how to handle these things. I want to read two passages and then we'll close. But I want you to look at the third chapter because it's so closely connected with this uh, this passage, and it's so con- connected with with that little member in our bodies that causes us so much trouble, so much trouble. And you know. If we can just go over things this way, we can bring about harmony and peace and love where there is chaos. That's what, that's what preaching of the Word is. It's good news. It's, it's stability. It helps people. And, uh, and if you think that I'm preaching this sermon to you because you're guilty of this, you're correct. You're correct. That's what God has given me the commission to do. But if you think I'm counting it personal, you're just wrong. 
Because I don't know everybody's evil mind. And as far as I'm concerned, uh, specifically, if it applies to you, you ought to apply it. But if you're going to ruin the lesson by thinking that I'm talking about you, you're all wrong. God is talking about you if it hits you. But as far as specific is concerned, the devil's working on you if that's the way you're thinking because you're closing your mind and you're closing me out. Now, closing me out, you're closing the message out. Now, this was written for our, our benefit. And it's written to show how we get in trouble with our little tongue. And, and I want to tell you that there is another more powerful behavior pattern than the tongue that expresses itself, and that's nonverbal. The nonverbal. You can give a man a look that'll tell him things that he may not understand, but he knows that you're not approving. So there's nonverbal behavior patterns that can build discord. But there is also looks in every language, in the culture barriers that we have. You can have a smile and a look that penetrates and the person understands there's love and not hate. Look at James, the third chapter. My brethren, be not many teachers is what most versions have, but it says masters in the King James, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. Now, I want to start out by this and saying that you could take that passage and say, well, I'm not supposed to be a teacher because I just think I'll just be the one talent man. I'll just hide my ability. Well, you get in trouble if you do. But the word many there, if understood properly in the original language, means many different kinds of teachers. Now, it would take us time to run the reference on that, and if we want to look at the words, but I'm just giving you that. You've got to take my word for it. You can go look it up if you want to. But the word many is the kind of teachers. He would contradict the Bible if he said, don't be many teachers, when in Hebrews he said, you all ought to be teachers. He'd... he'd He'd contradict the Great Commission when he said, go every one of you and you teach. You make disciples of every nation and of every creature, and you teach them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. See, that's teachers. But when he says, be not many teachers, what, what is he contradicting himself? No. The many means the different kind of teachers and the false teaching that'll come out of it by saying wrong things. This is where the message is. For in many things we all we offend, and all of us is in the uh, uh, nominative case, which is a subject case, and it should be it should be translated, and and we all of us we all. Offend is the predicate or is the verb. All of us offend, sometime or other. He's saying that. 
If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man, and able also to bridle the whole body. So he's verifying this, that we all do sin and do things we shouldn't do. But here he's saying, this is a way not to do it. Behold, we put bits in the horse's mouth that they may obey us, and we turn about their whole body. He's just using the illustration here in showing you how detrimental the tongue can be. Behold, also the ships. He said, I'll just use another one. The ships, which, although they be so great, are driven by fierce winds, yet they, when they are turned about with a very small rudder or helm, whithersoever the governor listeth. What is he teaching? He's teaching, I want to get to the point. The tongue, the next verse. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasteth great things. Behold, how great a matter a little fire kindleth. That's how dangerous it is. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. I didn't say that. The Holy Spirit said that. Let's just acknowledge that. Oh, no, I, I'll say anything I want to. Nobody's going to say, well, go ahead. God hates it. You violate that. He's just, he's helping you. So is the tongue among our members that it defileth the whole body and setteth on fire the course of nature and is set on fire of hell. This just shows that we all end up in the wrong place if we don't use our tongue to build relationships rather than to tear down relationships. For every kind of beast and birds and serpents and things in the sea and tame hath been tamed of mankind. But the tongue can no man tame. Don't ever think that you can turn it loose. Don't ever think you're an exception. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. Every one of us can waylay people and things with our tongue. And we can do it non-verbally, too, with our look. And it's just as deadly with our look as it is with our tongue. I can quote you passages of Scripture about your attitude. And your attitude can send you to hell. Well, he said, if you think in your heart that you want to go to bed with that woman, he said, you've committed adultery already in your heart. He said, if you hate that brother and you want to kill him, you already have committed murder in your heart. There's the attitude. We bless God, therewith the tongue we bless God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men, which are made at the similitude or the likeness of God. There's no place for anything to come out of a Christian's mouth except praise and encouragement and help. Out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. Doth the fountain send forth in the same opening with both sweet water and bitter? Can the fig tree, my brethren, yield bear olives or a vine figs? So can no fountain both yield salt water and fresh. Who is wise and endued with knowledge? Now here's the answer to our whole problem of thinking about the things that God hates and how what to do about it. Who is wise and endued with knowledge among you. Let him show out of the good conversation, that means his conduct, 
his works with meekness of wisdom, and there is that lack of proudness that is, was condemned. But if ye have bitter envy and jealousy and strife in your heart, glory not and lie not against the truth. Now, why did he say that? Because when you have bitter envy and you have strife in your heart, you lie. You lie. And he said he hates a liar. Lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, and devilish. Earthly, sensual, and devilish. Now that's the picture of the, of the seven things as an abomination in the people who would do it in Proverbs 6. Where envy and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. Don't ever think it'll ever be any other way. But I'll tell you, the last 17th and 18th verses has the answer to all of this. It's a proper conclusion. And it's a difference between thinking like God thinks and doing what God loves and doing what God hates. Now, the wisdom that comes from above is first pure. It's peaceable. It's gentle. That's not easy. To emulate. It takes self-control. It takes honoring God and honoring that we're made of God and that God wants us to act like He is. And if we don't, we don't have faith. We don't know who we are. We don't know what our purpose is and where we're going. But if we acknowledge that we're of God and that we came from God and we have a purpose here to serve God and to be holy in this life and that we're going back with God, then we're going to let him take over. And this first chapter in James said, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. Now, if you don't have that, then he says, ask and ask not doubting. And he'll give it liberally and he'll overflow abundantly the kind of blessing that you need. But just remember, above, the wisdom from above is, is pure, it's peaceable, it's gentle, it's easy to be entreated, it's full of mercy. What is mercy? Mercy is when someone has kicked you and you don't want to kick him back. He deserves it, but you, you give him forgiveness. You give him forgiveness. It's like the man that was standing before the judge and he was pleading for mercy. He was, he, he, he was nervous and he was all upset. And the judge said, said, sir, said, just try to be calm. And said, I'll see that you get justice. And he said, but Mr. Judge, I don't need justice. I'm guilty and I need mercy. what mercy is. It's when we deserve the punishment. We deserve to be corrected, but God gives us forgiveness. And good fruits come when we apply this. And it comes without partiality. That word partiality 
It means there's just no respect to persons. Now, it's, it's difficult for us if someone hurts us or things are not going like we ought, ought to go or someone's mistreated us or someone's ignored us or someone's rejected us or someone's done things to hurt us and, and is evil. We want to do it back to him and we want to hurt her or whoever it is. But without partiality, we treat everyone like the above characteristics. It's without partiality, it's without hypocrisy. You know, some people just act and they make you think that, oh, you're the nicest person and things are just great. And that's hypocrisy when they are believing something else. The wisdom that comes down from above is not that way. It just levels and the fruits of righteousness is sown in peace by the people who make peace. And the only way you can make peace is the application of those two verses. May God help us. There is in every life present here this, morning, this evening a need for this lesson. I remember one time I was called. My brother was at a congregation in Midland, Texas, and he was having some difficulty. And he said, G.B., I want you to come and help me. He said, we're having some misunderstandings here in the congregation. And I know that uh, you have worked with people and you've sort of been helpful in this. And I want you to come down and, and, uh, and help me. Because he said, there have been some misunderstanding." So I drove from the Panhandle down to Midland and helped him congregation was getting ready to divide because of misunderstanding. I had just memorized and I had gotten my class at, at four o'clock. I picked up the kids, Mike and some of them were in that, and Mike had memorized the whole chapter of uh, the James, the whole book of James of, um, from the other kids had. And I had just memorized it, uh, teaching them. And I didn't know exactly how to handle that, but he asked me to lead and pray. He said, I think you're a person who hasn't been here, and, and you need to help us, and, and just handle it the way you think needs to be handled. Well, we had an opening prayer, and I prayed by quoting that third chapter of James. Now, I didn't do it to show out. I did it to set the, the time, the tenor, and the, the, the tone of the meeting. And I guess it did. Because I said, you know, the last two verses holds the key to whatever is, hurt, is separating you people and you've had some trouble. Now, would you mind sharing with me what it is? And you know what it was? Is just a bunch of misunderstandings. They misunderstood things. They said, well, they had a meeting and I wasn't there. These elders had a meeting and I wasn't there. Well, what decision? They made a decision he thought that was against them. He said, what kind of decision did you make? We made it. And they said, well, I thought you... They said, well, I thought... It was just I think. We're just building up against one another. Oh, you mean you didn't... No, I didn't say it that way. 
So this, this passage, these two last two verses, I had stressed that God would give us wisdom that he, that's from above. And they all blended in with it. And they hugged each other, and they said, you know, we just misunderstandings here. We don't need to separate. We need to bond together. And isn't it wonderful that God has such wisdom for us if we just use it? I hope and pray that you'll take the lesson this evening as one that will bond us together and build us together and help us to reach out and to do things that will honor God in Christ. The invitation... We're going to extend it, and we just ask you to, if you're responsive to it, to come as we stand together and sing.